Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel like having options like video podcasts and Q&A lets us be more creative on another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome to On The Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And we are recording this episode on Friday night, just after the Orioles announced the six prospects that they're going to protect from this year's Rule 5 draft by awarding them as 40-man roster spots. Most of them were not surprises. However, there were a few surprises in there, and we'll be discussing that tonight, as well as players that possibly could get chosen out of the Orioles' farm system because they weren't given 40-man roster spots. And we'll take a look at where the 40-man stands now and talk about what other moves we could see from the Orioles over the coming months leading up to spring training. That'll be coming up in a moment, but first, On the Verge is brought to you courtesy of Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. Mercer is a third-generation family business that was established in 1959 and is located on Main Street in beautiful, historic downtown Westminster, Maryland. For all of your flooring needs, think Mercer. So on Friday, the Orioles announced that they were protecting six prospects uh, from the Rule 5 draft by giving them 40-man roster spots. That was left-handed pitcher D.L. Hall, right-handed pitcher Kyle Bradis left-handed pitcher Kevin Smith, infielder Taryn Vavra, right-handed pitcher Logan Gillespie, who really came out as the biggest surprise of the group, and right-handed pitcher Felix Bautista. Uh, If you've been listening to our show for the last few months now, most of those names don't come as a surprise to you. You know that we are all very happy that Felix Bautista has been added to the 40-man. Gillespie, though, comes out as the big surprise. While he'd been out in the Arizona Fall League and was, in fact, Rule 5 eligible, We thought that if a pitcher broke through in that group of players are out in the AFL now, it would be left-handed pitcher Nick Vespi. Um, However, Gillespie's season between Aberdeen and Bowie in 2021 might have been a little bit more than what meets the eye, which is perhaps why the Orioles protected him. And we'll discuss that a little bit tonight. So, Nick, I'll start with you on this one. First, I guess really your reaction as a whole to the group of players the Orioles protected, but then your thoughts on Gillespie as well? Uh, the Orioles made us wait. They made us sweat that one out a little bit. And uh, they definitely surprised us. That's for sure. I was not expecting Logan Gillespie. I don't think anyone, if anyone out there had Logan Gillespie in their prediction, um, you can take over the show. Like the, the show is yours uh, because I don't think anyone saw that going on. Paul Bradish, Vavra were locks. Kevin Smith, 
for the patrons out there, you know, you sign up, you get our prospect review series show that we're doing a couple of times a week. Uh, I did even me who I am not a fan of Kevin Smith, but I did call him a lock uh, on that podcast the other day that we released for patrons. Um, not surprising there either. Uh, yeah. Vespi and Newstrom are obviously the two big names left off. That could have been surprises we can talk about, but as far as Gillespie, like, I mean, he has double experience. We were talking before for the show. You know, Zach's kind of trying to trying to find the rundown of his career trajectory, his career path up to this point because it's been unique. But I mean, he can throw it 98, 99 miles an hour out there on the mound. Um, he stood out in the Arizona Fall League. I don't look at the numbers. Like I know, if anyone is looking at the numbers right now, they're bad. They're terrible. They all are, except for Nick Vespi. But like you know. Eric Longenhang was on Kevin Goldstein's podcast. Uh, no love lost to Kevin Goldstein after last week. Uh, but Eric Longenhang was on his show, and Kevin asked him, like, hey, like, just who stood out? And Longenhang, you know, of course, mentions a lot of the top prospects he saw. And then just mentions, like, Logan Gillespie. There are multiple versions of the fastball he throws, the velo there. Um, he liked what he saw out of Gillespie in the Arizona Fall League. So, yeah, the numbers suggest he might have been unlucky in Bowie. Big guy, throws hard. So we'll we'll see if he pans out. But definitely a major surprise there. Yeah, did they write down the wrong name that's from the Arizona Fall League right now? Uh, did they mean Nick Vespi? No. Uh, Logan Gillespie, clearly there's something they see there. They like his fastball. They like what he will be able to bring out of the bullpen potentially, and obviously he's probably going to get his chance. Now he's on the 40-man. So 2022, if he's still on the 40-man roster, he's probably going to get his shot at some point in the second half of the season. But, yeah, pretty surprising. I thought Robert Newsham would be protected. I even debated – with someone on the message board that he would be protected when they didn't think so, but they were correct. 2035 shout out. And yeah, I didn't think Kevin Smith would be at it, but that's not much of a surprise, but mostly I'm glad Felix Bautista is on there. We're going to get to see him in Orioles uniform in 2022. Very excited about that. Going back to Gillespie for a moment. And we kind of mentioned that I mentioned at the top that his season may have been a little bit more than what meets the eye. Because if you look at those numbers at Bowie, he pitched there 27 and a third innings exclusively in relief, struck out a lot of guys, 36 to be exact, but he had a 5.6 ERA. Um, When I was trying to pull together what I could on Gillespie before the show, and I had even kind of noticed this before um, the fall league season started, his XFIP was about two runs lower at Bowie, which suggests that he may have been a little bit unlucky with the home run to fly ball rate, although that was actually higher at Aberdeen than it was at Bowie, I believe. Um, so perhaps the Orioles looked at the ERA and thought it was more of a product of bad luck and really didn't speak to the work that he did there this year. Um, and Nick made an interesting point, which was that he piggybacks Grayson Rodriguez a lot this year. So not that that necessarily is going to be a factor, but obviously a chance to have more eyes on you, I suppose. Yeah. And I mean, he was, I forget who exactly wrote the article, but MLB pipeline had the, one guy to watch on each team out in the Arizona Fall League, uh, each major league team. And the Orioles rep was Logan Gillespie. So, I mean, that's not nothing there. Um, this is a guy who definitely has some eyeballs on him. And, yeah, he could give you some length out of the bullpen as well. Like, he met, he followed up Grace pretty much every Grace Rodriguez start. Gillespie came in after him when he was in Bowie. And he could go three, even four innings, I think. He might have gone one or two times. I can't remember off the top of my head, but – he could work a couple innings. I think in the big leagues, he's probably more like a, a one inning guy. If the stuff is working, he'll be solid for you. But I don't see him being able to go three, four innings against a major league lineup. But again, you never know. This is the part of where like I would love that data because clearly the data behind Gillespie and what his pitches look like on these you know slow motion machines and everything 
what he's doing is obviously like it's not matching up with his stats right now. And that's the good information that we don't have access to. Unfortunately, the Orioles do. And I'm going to trust the franchise there. And clearly they know a lot more than we do. And they have a lot. They have all the access to all that good information that they're going to base this decision off of. So I'm I'm not going to debate it. Yeah, I have to imagine this had some Justin Ramsey, Chris Holt, Matt Blood. uh, They had their say, and then they must have, you know, said, there's something with this guy. Keep keep him on there. Because I thought, you know, even a Blaine Knight, Cody Sedlock, Rafelki Peralta, these guys would be protected before someone like him. I don't even know if he would be in my top 10 or 15 guys that we would have protected. But but here we are, and, and it's for a reason. Obviously, it's for a reason. We couldn't protect Zach Pot last year, but we can protect Logan Gillespie this year. Go figure. Well, you know, Bob, this, this is a good point. Because when I wrote my piece about this at Baltimore Sports and Life uh, earlier this week, I mentioned Gillespie, but I also pointed out in there that there's a lot of players who fit this mold that are Rule 5 eligible this year. So how is he going to separate himself from, you know, an Ophelke Peralta or Cody Sedlock or Blaine Knight? But for the Orioles, he did. Something, you know, in the data stood out to them. Other than, I I guess, the pure strikeout numbers that we've been talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Is it spin rate? Is it, you know arm angle is it how close he gets like a freddie peralta type where he's extends a lot and seems like it's closer than it actually is i don't know i don't know what it is <laughs> we need that data come on my league baseball yeah Please and i guess us... if... okay oh, I, I was just saying like if you do look at like you know blaine knight and cody Selleck and ofelka peralta said has been exposed twice now and was never selected uh and it like I'm a big Cody Sedlock supporter now after watching this past year after like I wasn't two years ago. Um, he changed my mind this year, but like he didn't really do anything that was like, whoa, like major really stood out. That's like this guy is clearly on a major league path right now. I think he is on a major league path, but it was just a, a solid season all around for him. And then Blaine Knight, we talked about why he may have struggled in AAA, but I think the big thing there, like something that you could probably hide and might scare some other teams away when it comes to Blaine Knight is like, there were just like no swing and miss at the AAA level whatsoever. So like, I feel like that's a big thing. Uh, and so if you're looking for another relief arm and you've got a guy like Gillespie, who can almost touch a hundred uh, and you like his stuff in short stints, I guess, why not go ahead and protect him? It's not a guarantee he's going to stick around either, but I mean, why not go ahead and protect him? But I do want to know what's up with uh, Nick Vespi though. And why, uh, why he didn't get protected. That's the big question mark. I think for a lot of Orioles fans, yeah, that's one that I've had, you know, been questioning for, you know, well, since we found this out about an hour ago. And I don't know what the decision behind that was. I guess they just like Gillespie's stuff better than Vespi's. Um, but Vespi, you know, overall had looks good in the Arizona Fall League. And I know that John Mayo had made the point, fastball slider from the left side, that's a rule five pick. And, you know, we're going to get into this in a little bit, but I think Vespi is a guy that, the Orioles could lose now. The only drawback with him was that he didn't pitch well at AAA, but as we talked about a few weeks ago, that was after only within a couple of weeks of him coming off the DL at Bowie, or excuse me, the IL at Bowie. So you have to wonder, you know, was he just rust a little bit? Yeah. Especially, yeah, the way he's performing now in the AFL, that seems like it could definitely be the case. And, and even his underlying stats were not too shabby in AAA. So I don't know if you're going to go pure reliever, I would have went Vespi, but they knew more than us. 
Before we completely turn our attention to the guys that weren't protected, I do want to spend a little bit more time on the players that were protected. And I'll go with Felix Batista here just to start off this conversation. The three of us were big proponents of protecting Batista. Um, you've listened to this show, and if you've read some of the pieces over at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com, Batista was named you know, to our year-end all-star team, and he's also part of our top 50 prospect list right now. Um, so part of that is that Batista is just fun to watch pitch, and he throws really hard, but a lot of relievers throw hard. So, Bob, what is it? about Batista that separates him in your mind from some of the other guys that the Orioles could have protected? It's just got to be his size and mound presence and the fact that nobody can hit him. I mean, he just doesn't give up hits. He'll walk you. He'll might walk to bases loaded and walk three runs in, but you're pretty much not going to get a hit off of him. And he strikes, strikes a bunch of guys out with his high, I'm assuming a heavy, heavy fastball, just almost touching triple digits and and uh yeah, him and brian baker the bash brothers are still intact and i can't wait to see it yeah i honestly like i would have loved to see batista protected which he is now obviously but i don't think i ever like would put him in one of my lists of guys that i thought would be protected i know um shame on me but i did like him and to be honest again like going into this year he started in aberdeen pitched across three levels I paid him no mind when he was in Aberdeen. Like to me, he was just another relief arm. And then he gets promoted to Bowie. And that's where I started watching him. And it's like, wow, this guy like might actually be good. Now, I don't think, uh, shout out to Steve Molesky, who tweeted out after the protections were announced that he thinks Felix Batista is the third best arm in this organization. I'm not going to go that far, uh, but he can top 100 miles an hour. Uh, we think, well, what is what did Paul Fritchner say the height weight was? I forget. Was it six uh, he, seven two forty or something like that? So we're talking about a six <laughs> seven, maybe six eight two forty might even be a little bit light there with this guy. This is a behemoth of a human being. Uh, so if he can keep it controlled and keep the walks down, and when he went to AAA, the walks did decrease a significant amount. So about looking here, twenty percent walk rate about in AA. That might be the number that I have here. I just have 20%. But he dropped whatever 20% was down to 12% walk rate in AAA. So, like, that's a big drop. Across the year, he struck out 40% of batters he faced. And then Bob talked about you're not going to get hit off him. Uh, opponents in high A hit 137 against him. In AA, they hit 044 against him. And in AAA, just 169. So the, the stats back that up. You're not going to get hit off this guy. So as long as he can keep it controlled and pound the strike zone, this is a gym and it is just that size that makes him stand out. There's no way you can stand in that box. And there's the mad behemoth. <laughs> Shout out to the <laughs> behemoth of a man. Like, is it Felix Bautista? He's been that, watching us all this time. That might be him. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, as long as he can pound that strike zone, you got a good arm here. So congratulations to him. That's awesome. I mean, the thing that I look like, and you both touched on it, is that it's not a lot of hard contact. He's not a guy where it's a hundred mile an hour fastball that's going to strike out a batter, end in a walk, or land somewhere ten rows into the seats. Um, it's probably a strikeout, a weak pop out, or it might be a walk. But it, it's almost like if he's not going to give up that much hard contact, I can live with the walks a little bit, especially if you know what I think the plan should be for him next year. Um, first off, right now, if I had to put the 2022 bullpen together, I would have Batista in it. But, you know, try to ease him into, you know, the high leverage situations by starting him out more in the medium leverage, kind of like the way they handled Tyler Wells last year. You know, start easing him into those more high pressure situations. 
And, you know, that will give him a little bit of an opportunity to work out his command. I thought that if the Orioles didn't protect him, that's the exact approach that another team would have taken after picking him in the Rule 5 draft. So I'm happy he's sticking around. Now, as for the four guys that we saw as locks, I do want to get into some great news, which is that D.L. Hall was throwing again this week. We saw the video of that on social media. It made us all happy. If he's healthy next year, how quickly do we see him in the major leagues? I'm thinking August at the earliest. I'm thinking it'll be like a like a Michael Bauman type situation. Like he's going to need to definitely get his feet wet. If if not double A triple or if not triple A, then all the way back in double A just for a tiny bit. And I think he's just going to be you know five and dive in the minor leagues next season, and then maybe he gets some time in the bullpen towards the end of the year. Yeah, I didn't. I knew he wasn't throwing like in games. Obviously, they shut him down, but I knew he was in Sarasota working out. I didn't realize, at least that video he posted, I don't know if it was Twitter or one of his Instagram videos that he posted, like he went six months without throwing a baseball, apparently. So like that like doesn't scare me in terms of like, oh my God, he's injury prone now. Let's sell Dio Hall at this point. But it does worry me a little bit. Like, you know, are they going to be super cautious with him next year? Um, so I think in other episodes, I said that injury, while yes, it might be a major injury, it doesn't really set his timeline back too much. I'm wondering if we see him in the major leagues at all next year. Like, does he start the year in double A to get his feet wet again and then move up to triple A or, or what happens with DL Hall? If they take him easy, obviously then, you know, he's going to spend a month or two, even probably even Bowie. That'll be interesting to see. I don't know, but I'd be honestly kind of shocked if we see him in the major leagues next year, maybe a cup of coffee at the very end, but. And does he even start, you know, the year on time? Is he like, Kind of like Michael Bauman, the rosters are announced, and hey, where's D.L. Hall? He's not here right now. You know, he might not get started until a couple weeks or maybe even a month into the season. Well, coming off the Bauman thing, I do feel better about how the Orioles can handle these type of situations. So I do feel like that even if Hall starts next year back at Bowie on a very short lease and they use him very conservatively, that they're going to ultimately have a, a roadmap to get him back up and get him to the point where he's at least putting together five inning outings in AAA. The thing that I wonder now, though, after we talked to John Mioli a couple weeks ago, is that Mioli had pointed out that, you know, Ballman might not necessarily have all of his pitches back even after this year. So I sort of wonder if D.L. Hall might end up in the same boat where he looks really good, but that repertoire is still not completely built back up to where it was before the injury. Hopefully that's not the case and, you know, we're able to see Hall sometime next summer. But I agree with you guys that if we see him at all in 2022, it will be later. Um, Any thoughts on the other three, Braddis, Vavra, and Smith? And I'll start with Nick here. Not really. I mean, Braddish, we all figured they were locks. Super happy for Kyle Braddish. He's on the 40-man now. I think he could very well start next year in this rotation, uh, in the Orioles Major League rotation. He's going to have every opportunity to, at least. Uh, Vavra didn't really play a whole lot. I mean, what, 40, maybe 50 games total this year. So he, again, like D.L. Hall, he might start the next year in Bowie. I, I don't know how these rosters shake out, but he could be a very late 2022 addition to the Major League roster if he cracks the majors next year. But still a solid high floor player. Smith, you know, just, I don't know. 
I mean, I, I, f- I feel like I tried real hard to keep it positive in the Patreon episode. Uh, and, you know, it's just it's, it's a wash. 2021 was a wash. Let's go out. He's going to have a new pitching coach if he starts the year next year in AAA, which I imagine he will. I don't see why he wouldn't. Uh, he's going to have a new pitching coach or he's going to have Justin Ramsey uh, back next to him, helping him out there. So uh, start fresh. That's all I'm going to say. Start fresh. Yeah, it could be meet the new coach, same as the old coach. Hopefully gets him right back on track. I mean, yeah, Kevin Smith, what is there to say? He's just got to get that slider under control or even that fastball. You just can't it, can't throw anything for strikes. You can't do any damage. But I think it, it says something that they added him. They at least they must feel good enough that they can turn things around for him. And maybe he's just like a, he needed this learning experience to get through games and he'll you know, be like the Alex Wells and Zach Lothar were last year where he's just got to fight through that. But Taron Vavra, I think he's going to come in spring training 2022 healthy and lighten the world on fire, forcing the way up. He's going to start in AAA and be the starting second baseman by June. That's my prediction there. And Kyle Bradish, I think he, you know, he essentially had an entire AAA season last year and he seemed to get it down pretty well towards the end of the season. So I think he's got a very real possibility of making the starting rotation right out of spring training. Yeah, I agree. I could definitely see Braddis in that mix. And if Vavra is healthy, I think that he probably hits his way into the conversation for second base by the middle of the season, especially if the Orioles really don't nail that position down, which they failed to do last year. So we'll see what happens. We're going to turn our attention now to the players that were left unprotected. And I think based off of, the fan reaction that I saw and Bob talked about a little bit earlier, apparently there was one uh, fan who thought Robert Newstrom was not going to be protected 25-35 over at the BSL board. Um, but the three of us, I think, kind of thought Newstrom was going to be protected. A lot of Orioles fans thought he was going to be protected. A lot of articles leading up to tonight's decision talked about Robert Newstrom, not as a lock, but as a guy that was, you know, seemed likely to be protected. He's left off after a good year between Bowie and Norfolk. And I've been scratching my head for about the last hour trying to figure out why that happened. I'm kind of starting to develop some ideas here, but I'll start with Bob. Um, first off, how surprised were you when that announcement came out and Robert Newstrom was not on that graphic that the Orioles pushed out? And secondly, can you come up with any theories on why that may have been the case? I was certainly surprised. I can't say I was like completely shocked just because I feel like the closer it got to the deadline, the closer or the more it seemed like this possibility was there. I think it's just, you know, I don't think it means the Orioles think that Robert Newsham's a lesser player or prospect than say a Logan Gillespie or even Felix Bautista. I think it just means outfielders are not exactly, you know, the kind of player that gets taken in the rule five and lasts an entire year. It's a lot harder to, hide an outfielder than it is a guy at the back end of a bullpen or, you know, on the fringes of the bullpen. So I think it's more just the strategy playing the game. Elias got burnt by Zach Pop last year. Let's see what happens with Robert Newstrom this year. Yeah, it's now I'm like with Newstrom investing, I'm trying to convince myself, like bring all the bad things out and convince myself like they're going to stay by just like downing them in my head, uh, which like whatever. Um, like, it's not surprising, like Bob said. I agree. I really wasn't expecting to see his name on that graphic there as a protection, but I was really hoping he would be protected as a reward for this past season. 
But yeah, you know, you look at maybe like the defense, you know, is the defense an elite, uh, is he an elite right fielder at the major league level next year? Probably not. I don't think so. Uh, But so maybe they're like holes in his games you can pick at. He did really kind of die off at the end of the year there. So, I mean, there are definitely holes in his game you can pick at, but like if another team comes after him, I don't see, would he be able to stick across full season in the major leagues if another team picked him up? I don't know. I'd say odds are probably lower that he would. So I guess you're playing the game here and hope he sticks around. And yeah, I don't think this is a knock on him. Like the Orioles say, he can't cut it in the major leagues. I just think this is a gamble that they could afford to take with Robert Newstrom. But I, I hope he doesn't get picked. This is another sweat we're going to have to do for, what, three weeks, two weeks, unless you know the lockout happens and the Rule 5 draft gets pushed to like January. And then we really got to sweat this thing out. But yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm going to say he probably doesn't get selected, but it, it's disappointing that he's not on the 40 man right now. Well, I was torn between thinking coming into this, I was torn between thinking that he probably wouldn't be protected um, for a lot of the reasons that you both just mentioned. His defense doesn't particularly stand out. He did dive off a little bit at the end of triple at his time at Norfolk. And it is hard to hide. I think any position player, but especially an outfielder, you're going to give, you know, semi-frequent playing time to, on your major league roster all year, unless it's a situation like Anthony Santander right after the Orioles chose him where he was hurt for most, if not all that stretch. I can't remember exactly. So it was easy to hide. But I also thought back to when they protected Ryan McKenna and I thought, what would be the separator? And I guess at the end of the day, it does come back to the defense, which is that McKenna can play center field. And there was really no doubts when McKenna was rule five eligible that he had the makings, at least defensively, of a major league center fielder, even if he hadn't quite put it together with the bat yet. Um, and I think the, the other thing, too, with Newstrom is where would he fit into this team with Anthony Santander and DJ Stewart still on the roster? Um, and even Trey Mancini, for that matter. So if you're going to have all four of them on the 40-man, you're basically sending Newstrom back to AAA until one of the three players above him moves on or someone gets hurt. I mean, I would personally easily DFA DJ Stewart in favor of him, or at least you know have him on the roster over DJ Stewart. But maybe this is a hint that they're not going to trade Anthony Santander and, and they're planning to go to war with the guys they have right now. And I don't know. Let's see. If the NL has a DH next year, and I doubt he's going to be one of the first guys taken in the Rule 5 draft, so is it going to be a, a good team that would have to take him towards the end of the Rule 5? Can he, I don't know. It's just it's so See, interesting. My, my thoughts were running more in the opposite direction with the DH, which it might be one of those teams towards the top, because there's an opportunity to get a DH that hits from the left side for the league minimum. That's a fair point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess... This also could just be a scenario where maybe they did want to protect Newstrom and maybe they do really like him. But, you know, like you mentioned, they're planning to go into next season with a DJ Stewart and a Santander. You know, Santander has had the injury concerns. So if he's shown in the past, like he could be a 20 home run, 20 double guy at the major league level across the full season. It's just so rare that he's healthy for long stretches. So maybe they're, he's still a young guy. So if you're hoping, let's give him one more opportunity. Uh, and then with DJ Stewart, you know, I think DJ Stewart should have been cut three years ago, but at the same time, like if he does get on base at a really high rate. So if you, you bringing in, you know, Ryan Fuller and these new hitting coaches and say, let's roll the dice one more year with you and see if these new coaches can come in and work with you, then yeah, you know, Robert Newsham doesn't have a place at the major league level. Uh, but at the same time, this could just be a scenario of 
this is where the Orioles start to lose some of that talent in the Rule 5 draft because there's too much of it. It's a pretty positive outlook maybe, but I'm I'm going to go with that one. Maybe a devil's advocate on DJ Stewart. What happened in 2020? He started off cold, got sent to the alternate site with Ryan Fuller, came back and was a beast. So maybe they think with Ryan Fuller on board full-time, he's just going to be Barry Bonds. Yeah, I, I would love for that to happen. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna count on it. I would love for that to happen. Um, and in which case, I'll just go ahead and make the prediction now that DJ Stewart's an All Star because I know we're gonna have to make that prediction in a few months. But um, yeah, it the other factor I guess too, although you wouldn't put this in, you know, I would would hope the Orioles aren't putting this into the equation right now because you don't have to make this decision with Kyle Stowers until next year, I think. But Stowers is close to the major leagues um, after the season he had. And I would have to think that, you know, we wouldn't dispute that Stowers is one of the top outfield prospects in the system now. And that he's probably the guy that is going to take over for Anthony Santander. If when he is traded or if when the Orioles move on from him. Um, So it's a situation where it's not just the players are already on the 40 man but also the guys that aren't on the 40 man yet, but that are close to the majors like Stowers and Watson. So here's a good question from uh, Adit. Does Newsroom not being protected bode well for Stowers coming up early? Seems like they would play a similar role. I don't think it really affects Stowers timeline for getting to the majors at all. I think he's going to start back at AAA next year and that it's going to hinge more on Santander and Stewart. If those two guys are on the opening day roster, but Curious to get your thoughts about this. Well, it did seem like Newstrom was going to have a bit of a head start when it comes to making his major league debut. So maybe this means, you know, that they still think, you know, Stowers will get that first shot if and when the time comes to bring up an outfielder from AAA. Yeah, I don't know. I think when they think Kyle Stowers is ready, they're going to insert him first. Um, but yeah, it's just having DJ. Why is DJ Stewart still on this roster? Like that's that's the thing. Like if we just remove him from this roster, and you traded Anthony Santander a year ago, this would be a different conversation. But I, I just get the sense there's still a lot of offseason left. Um, may, active offseason, there may not be much left of, but there's still a lot of offseason left, and moves can still be made. The one of those 40 man's at 39 right now. There's no catcher on the roster. There's still a lot of movement that's got to be made. This rotation, like there is still no starting rotation right now. So like a lot of roster moves are going to be made. Um, but yeah, as for right now, like, I just don't know. It's frustrating. Just it's, for a guy like Robert Newstrom, I know it's, it's got to be frustrating as well because I think he he definitely earned it. He played his way onto this spot and he can still get there, but it's just not going to happen right now. And now we have to wait and see if he gets selected, which I think is a, possibility but maybe uh, another reason they took this gamble is you know there's they're not done with making moves this offseason they don't want to overcrowd the 40 man with a guy like newstrom and have to consider taking him back off if they make a certain move so maybe it's you know leave him off take the gamble and then richie martins dj stewart's of the world can be the ones that get plucked off if they make a move or two yeah that's a good point now we'll talk about nick vespi for a minute because vespi seemed like the guy who might be the late riser that if someone was going to play their way onto the 40 man in Arizona, it was going to be Vespi. And we talked a little bit about how he didn't pitch that well at AAA, but that some of the underlying numbers suggest that he was probably a little bit better than what that ERA showed and that he was promoted there within a short turnaround time after recovering from an injury. 
yet he gets left off. I'll start with Nick here. I feel like if there's a guy that is taken from the Orioles, and I expect there's going to be at least one, it's probably going to be Vespi, just based off of what he's done in the fall league and the fact that a left-handed pitcher with a fastball-slider combination that can miss bats the way that he does, even if he doesn't have power reliever stuff, is going to generate interest. Yeah, I mean, Adam Hall could also be taken too, guys. Uh, you got to watch out for that one. But uh, no, Nick Vespi, yeah, I think if there is one name, if I had to put all my money on one of these guys being selected, it would be Nick Vespi. And largely it's because of that AFL experience. Like all 30 teams or 29 other teams are watching him out there. And he's been really, really good. And whenever I listen to like another podcast or read articles about the Arizona Fall League, they never fail to mention about how bad the pitching is out there in the Arizona Fall League, especially this year. And so for Nick, Nick Vespi to be pitching as well as he has been this season, I think that's going to stand out a little bit more. Uh, he had a good fall star game. He's going to be back on TV again tomorrow night. Maybe he'll get another opportunity Saturday night. Sorry. So if you're listening to this on the regular feed, it's already passed. But he's pitching Saturday night in the AFL championship game. So he's going to again have more eyes on him. Uh, so if he puts up another good outing there, like teams are going to have that recency bias, I think, and say, like, let's take a shot with him uh, and see if he sticks around. And, yeah, he doesn't throw 95-96, but the slider is the pitch that a lot of people have noted, and it's a good pitch from the left side. So if he gets selected, like, that's that's going to sting. And he tweeted out a photo, like a new profile photo, with him in the Orioles jersey from the Arizona Fall League, and I thought that was a sign, but it obviously wasn't. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm really happy that he's having so much success in the Arizona Fall League, and it's awesome what he's doing, but it kind of makes me wish they didn't even send him to the Arizona Fall League if they weren't going to protect him no matter how well he pitched. So, yeah, I do think he's probably the most logical option to get taken from the Orioles when the Rule 5 draft comes up because he's a lefty. Even with the three-batter rule, I feel like he's going to be effective enough against righties to to be a guy that can be not light on like high leverage or anything, but just a guy that a team could go to in a bullpen, maybe for the entire season. Maybe he doesn't last, but I, I think there's a chance he could. We might you know, Bob, be uh, losing another good one. Yeah, you know, Bob, that's a good point because the Orioles re-signed him to a minor league contract. They also re-signed Ofelki Peralta to a minor league contract. We don't see Peralta throwing anywhere right now. So they sent Vespi to Arizona. He ends up in the Fall Stars game getting praised by John Mayo on MLB Network. And now we're, you know, coming up on the Rule 5 draft and he's not protected the 40-man roster spot. And he has looked really good in what is a hitters-friendly league the last few weeks. And, you know, I said when we were coming up on the Arizona Fall League, don't read too much in the Fall League stats one way or the other. And I still think that's true. But, you know, considering the context of it, I have to feel like Vespi's performance out there is getting a lot of attention. Yeah, I'm trying. My computer's going really slow. I'm trying to look up his splits. I meant to do this earlier to see. So we're talking about you know the lefty righty matchup there, but yeah, I forgot that they did re-sign him already. You know, Ofelki is he's on a roster in the Dominican Republic, but he hasn't pitched at all this winter, so I don't know exactly if there's an injury there or what's going on. But I think Ofelki's fairly safe. He didn't get a lot of exposure up in AAA, and after spending what five six years in A ball, like. Is another team really going to want to take that risk there with him? I don't know as much as I like him. Vespi has more AAA experience, and he's a much safer pitching prospect, I think. And looking at his splits now, like in Bowie, the splits weren't terrible. I mean, 091 average versus righties. Lefties hit 207 against them, and I don't see anything from AAA here. 
I can't navigate this. It's not moving fast enough for the podcast. But the splits don't appear to be like anything drastic to make you say like, yeah, he can't cut it in the major leagues against you know right-hander, right-handed hitters. So it's going to be an interesting one, I think. So we'll talk about. Um, oh, here's a good question um, from Hunter Davis on YouTube. But the forty man at thirty nine and player D- player DFA is a plenty. Who are your next three players to remove from the roster? I'll start with Bob on this. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, a lot of teams are making these moves, so maybe we pick up one of these guys that are getting DFA'd and waived. So I'm going to assume DJ Stewart's on the roster forever, so just skip right past him. I think Brooks Krisky is going to be one of the next ones, Richie Martin, and Kelvin Gutierrez. Those are my three. Yeah, I'm trying to see here. Krisky, like, I just don't even know. I was not watching the major league product once he was added, so I have no idea who that is, to be totally honest. So he can go, in my mind. Um, Gutierrez is interesting because I actually really love that defense, but I know, like, no one else likes Kelvin Gutierrez. Um, I think Richie Martin is gone. He can definitely go with Javai Jones on the roster. Uh, Lucius Fox, who we can talk about in a moment, the, who the Orioles added. I think that's kind of the, the death blow to Richie Martin, possibly. Taron Vaver being added to the 40-man roster. I don't see a need for him. Um, you wonder if like Jorge Mateo is able to stick around. Um, I know a lot of Orioles fans really like him, but another name that I think could probably go as well is Paul Fry. I don't know if he survives the cut as well. Yeah, that's a good point. Fry is probably a non-tender candidate, and we're going to learn a little bit more about that uh, here in a couple of weeks. I would go Brooks Krisky and Richie Martin as well. I'm going to throw Joey Crable's name into the mix too. That seems like someone that could potentially get DFA'd at some point. Um, And I'll go back to something I said on an earlier show, which is that I do think that Cole Saucer is traded at some point this offseason. That is not really a DFA, so it's a little bit different than these other moves, but that is someone that could come off 40-man. And, you know, you're at 39 now. You don't have a, a single catcher on your 40-man roster. You know they're going to be making moves. And not only that, but you really don't have anything right now that, to me, looks like a starting rotation when you get past John Means. And I'm not just talking about talent level. I'm talking about do you actually have enough arms to put between uh, the majors and AAA uh, to have 10 starting pitchers between those two teams. I'm not sure you do right now. So they're going to have to add a little bit in that area too. Are you crazy? We got Jorge Lopez. We got – hold on one second. Uh... <laughs> Spencer Watkins is back, friend of the podcast. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I actually forgot looking at the – I had to pull up the Orioles roster because I forgot who was on uh, some of these names like the Brooks Kresge and others. Uh, but – Tyler Nevin is also on the 40-man roster and ended the year in the major leagues. I forgot all about that. When we were talking about the Robert Newstrom scenario there, you got Nevin, you got Santander, you got Stewart, Mullins, McKenna, Mateo, Hayes, and Diaz still hanging around. So, yeah, that actually makes a lot more sense now why Robert Newstrom probably wasn't added. I would happily uh, DFA Usneal Diaz in favor of Robert Newstrom, but no Same. offense, Usneal. <laughs> You just said last week we were going to burn his jersey, so I don't think that that, <laughs> that came to that level. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> so, um, any are there is there anybody else you think could be an under the radar player that was not protected that maybe is taken by another team? I mean, Gray Fenter got taken last time, so who knows? Maybe. Uh... Greg Cullen, he's he's in danger of getting taken and being starting second baseman for the New York Yankees. 
Um, I, I just don't know. I mean, I've seen the name Kane Grenier thrown out a couple of times, which, like, uh, I don't think that's going to happen. I get the sentiment, like, why somebody would, like, throw the name out there um, as a possibility. Uh, the defense is obviously major league ready. That's good defense there. But the bat has been kind of meh. Um, I keep looking at Cody Sedlock and just thinking, like, if you're a team that really could use another reliever on the cheap, like a, a, the Pirates or someone that's picking at the top of the draft, and you have, you know, open 40-man space, why not take a flyer in the second? Or aren't there three? I think there are three rounds in the four, the major league phase. Um, so why not take a flyer in, like, the second round of the draft on a Cody Sedlock? He's been available for the last two drafts. So, you know, teams, if they do their homework there, like they've got the notes on Cody Sedlock. They've done the homework on him uh, for the last two years. So maybe now they say, let's pull the trigger and see. But would he stick? That's a different question. I mean, he's as ready as he's ever going to be. 26 years old, AAA experience. So, yeah, if a team likes him whatsoever, then this is the time to do it. Yeah, I agree. If you're going to make a move on Cody Sedlock, now is the time to do it. And I, I just wonder, like, what are the odds of the guy who's a former first rounder slips through the rule five draft three times in a row without getting taken. And, you know, I'm not going to make an argument that, you know, Sedlock absolutely should have been protected, but I do think that we shouldn't be surprised if he is somehow, you know, if he ends up getting taken by another organization, that's probably the guy that stands out the most to me. I think that Grenier, you can't completely discount that possibility of him being taken, but it's going to take a team that just really loves that defense and likes it enough that they don't care if he hits 200 as a part-time player and strikes out a lot. Because we know that Grenier is a guy that strikes out a lot and doesn't really supplement that with a lot of power, which is, I think, right now why he's on the outside looking in on a day where the Orioles claim Lucius Fox on waivers from the Royals. Yeah. Should we address uh, Adam Hall, the possibilities? I mean, this is a guy, 22 years old, 672 OPS in high A ball, who started the year ahead of Jordan Westbrook and Gunnar Henderson and ended the year a level below them. But if Keith Law was running a team, he might get taken. But other than that, I'm not sure it's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I was, go, go ahead, Zach. I was gonna I was gonna throw out that same question. Like, would we be upset if Adam Hall happened to be taken uh and moved along? I I would not like I'm not losing sleep over Adam Hall. I'm not a fan of his either, to be totally honest. And I was a big I was on other Orioles podcasts promoting Adam Hall for like the last two years, hyping him up in my writings, and I think everyone else was looking at me like, all right, you can stop with Adam Hall hype, like it's not happening. And now here I am, like uh, I'm actually not that big of a fan of his. Like for he missed a lot of the year due to injury in high A. I get that. He is young. His amateur career before pro ball, like he really wasn't challenged that much. So this is a very raw prospect that was going to take a couple of years anyway. But he's in high A this past year when he was healthy. Like for a good chunk of the season, he led all of minor league baseball, not just high A, but all of minor league baseball and ground ball percentage. So like 60 something percent. So he, he doesn't hit the ball hard. It's a lot of singles. That yeah, he can turn into doubles with the speed. The speed's truly elite, but like it's a lot of singles and ground balls, and he doesn't hit the ball very hard. And the, the defense is good, you know, but I think there are a lot of guys like him in baseball. I'll go back to what I wrote at Baltimore Sports and Life, which is that the team that would take Hall is the one that is just going to value that speed over everything else and is content with the idea that he'll be the starting second baseman in double A uh, in 2023. 
because that's how you're, what you're going to need to develop his bat. But first off, his speed really valued that much in today's game. I don't know that it is. And secondly, you can get a player off the waiver wire or as a low-end major league free agent or a minor league free agent that will give you more roster flexibility than Hall will um, as a Rule 5 pick. Now, to Nick's question, would I lose any sleep if Hall is taken? In the immediate future, no, because I just don't think he's going to contribute anything at the major league level offensively if he sticks on a roster all year next year and the Orioles have so much depth at that position. Would I have that fear in the back of my mind that that organization would, you know, put him back in the minors the following year and find something that the Orioles couldn't? I probably would, but there was may have been an A's fan saying the same thing about Richie Martin when the Orioles took him in the Rule Five draft, and we see how that's played out. So, at the end of at the end of the day, I'm not surprised that Hall was not protected at all, and I think that if he is taken the Orioles are going to be fine because I don't know that he's going to develop into the player that we all hoped, you know, about a year ago that he was going to, and he won't do it right away. And even if he does, there is so much middle infield depth and there's so much depth up the middle in the system that they can sustain it. It's just going to be the feeling of, could you have gotten something for Adam Hall, which this off season, you probably couldn't. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty crazy coming into the season. He was what our 16th or 17th rated prospect. Yeah. And I'm thinking, yeah, he's the under the radar guy. Him and Drew Rahm are going to be the guys that kind of sneak from under the radar to over the radar. And obviously Drew Rahm did, but uh, Adam Hall, I mean, he did hit 308 with the, like a low 800s OPS for the month of July. Bad news is he didn't have an OPS over 650 in the other month of the season. So yeah, I don't think we would miss him if he was taken. I think he would be returned fairly quickly, but even if he lasted a whole year like a Richie Martin. I just don't think with the system this deep and one of the best systems in baseball, especially when it comes to the middle, and then it's not going to be much of a loss. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, we talked, we've talked a lot about how Aberdeen is a pitcher's park, um, but that doesn't factor into the equation when you're hitting the ball on the ground. Yeah, that's more for why didn't certain players hit more home runs this year? Well, because the park effects say that it's hard to hit a home run in Aberdeen. But when you hit the ball on the ground as often as Adam Hall did, like to Nick's point, he led minor league baseball and ground ball percentage for a while. It doesn't matter what ballpark you're in. You just got to run hits out or hope they find a hole because otherwise you're, you're looking at a lot of ground outs in the infield and that's it. Yeah, I mean, I was surprised that his WRC plus was as high as it was at 89, which is only 11% under league average, but still not too great. Yeah, no, I mean, it'd be a different story, you know, if like Gunnar Henderson just completely like craps the bed next year, which I don't see happening at all. But then, you know, Adam Hall becomes a different story. But like, you've got five guys, like what if Gunnar doesn't work out? There are five other guys behind Gunnar who project out as possible major league pieces so like adam hall is down the list i don't know if in any publication he's still a top 30 prospect i i didn't look before him but i don't think he is off the top of my head so i mean it's not just us who's down on adam hall like everybody is kind of down on him unfortunately but well we haven't seen keith keith law's uh updated orioles list so. yeah. well i know that there has there has been you know it has been cited elsewhere that Hall is still technically in the top 30 for MLB pipeline, but I don't know the last time MLB pipeline made like the 
full-scale changes to the list that weren't just adding a player on because someone graduated. So I'm not sure that if, you know, when the time comes to reshuffle the deck for them, that Hall is still going to be in the top 30. No. Yeah, I would highly doubt it. And we know in next year's draft, like it's going to be uh, Chase Lauder at 1-1. And then uh, second round, first pick of the second round, like it's going to be another middle infielder who's going to be a top 20 prospect in the system. So we're just going to keep, we're just going to keep adding there. It's, it's all good. Decker, are you trying to upset Orioles <laughs> Twitter on a Friday night by telling them they're going to draft an outfielder and an infielder with the first two picks in the draft? It's, they're supposed to gonna, draft pitchers and that's it. It's not going to be a pitcher. The seventh round, you'll get your first pitcher. You can hold off on your pitchers. We're, we're good. I mean, the cupboard is stacked. We're good on pitching. Uh, we need another outfielder named Chase nope. DeLauder. We need another catcher. Come on, guys. <laughs> so the other move that was made today that doesn't have anything to do with the Rule 5 draft, but it did see the play- Orioles add a player to the 40-man roster, was Lucius Fox, who was claimed off waivers from the Kansas City Royals. Fox is a former um, high-profile international signing out of the Bahamas by the San Francisco Giants, and he's now on his fourth organization. He was traded by the Giants to the Rays as part of a deal for Matt Moore a few years ago. And then in 2020, the Rays traded Fox to the Kansas City Royals to get Brett Phillips back. Fox spent most of last year at AAA Omaha, but was limited to just 57 games because of injury. He hit 242 there with a 709 OPS and stole 19 bases in 21 attempts. And he did show, though, one of the stronger attributes throughout his career, which is that he's a fairly patient hitter. Drew 37 walks, uh, ended up posting a 353 on base percentage. This is a guy that is a former top 100 prospect um, and has shown good tools at various points in his career, but has not really been able to put them together over a full season at the minor league level and has yet to actually appear in a major league game. The good news for the Orioles, though, is that he does have options, so he gives you a little bit of flexibility on the 40-man roster. I'll start with uh, Nick on this. Just thoughts on this move and what you think Fox brings to the 40-man roster. It's interesting. Uh, It was fun to get that in the afternoon while we waited for the 40-man roster decisions. But, I mean, the Giants signed him, went back and looked for $6 million, and he was supposed to go to the Dodgers apparently for four million, but the Giants upped their offer to six million, paid extra in penalties because they went over the, the cap you get there uh, to get Fox. And he was number three, I believe. MLB Pipeline had him in their top thirty international prospects for that year. So like, is the prospect pedigree is there? Um, I feel like I've heard this name or been familiar with this name for like years now. So I was surprised he's still just twenty four years old, but. Still kind of raw, I think, but if he checks all the boxes that Michael Elias likes when you snag these guys off waivers. And, you know, it's he really hasn't done it with the bat up to this point. The numbers, offensive numbers aren't great, but you mentioned the walks. The walks are really good. Stolen bases are elite. 142 stolen bases in 479 career minor league games. Speed's elite. Love that. Um, he entered the year 28th in the Royal system, so... Is he a top 30 guy in the Orioles system? Probably not. Uh, but still, this is a guy who got off waivers. Um, you know, and something else, I think it was MLB Pipeline's report has that when he went to Kansas City, they didn't realize once they got him hooked up to their machines, they didn't realize the batted ball data was as good as he was putting up. Like he hits the ball hard. They didn't realize he hit the ball that hard because he just doesn't homer. It's just line drive, hard contact. So if he's hitting the ball that hard, we know the Orioles like that. That's it's a box they check. He's hitting hard line drives, good defense, second base, shortstop, third base. 
good speed. I think all the, the raw tools are there for this organization to work with. And like this move is a hundred times more fun than a Pat Vileka waiver claim. So like this, is he going to pan out? I don't know. He's going to stick around. I don't know, but I think this is it for Richie Martin. Uh, Jemai Jones, goodbye. And uh, Lucius Fox, here you come. Yeah, I knew I recognized the name, and not just because it's the same name as the Morgan Freeman character in the Christopher Nolan Batman movies. Uh, this is a guy who's, like Nick said, he's been around for a while. He was the raised 26th ranked prospect, is, you know, frequent or as recent as last year. So clearly some pedigree, despite his not impressive numbers offensively. And if he's hitting the ball hard and, and the Orioles think they can unlock it, get him to loft it a little bit more, at least you know, do more damage and drive it into the gaps. Maybe that's something they do, but it screams to me like a guy who they're going to try to recycle through the waiver wire. They're going to DFA him pretty soon themselves and try to get him to be in our minor league system without being on the 40-man roster. I think that's a real possibility, especially when you look at the middle infield depth. If he does stick, though, I think that this is somebody they could look at, at least in that utility mold um, where he could play second short and center field, which is Jemai Jones hasn't really gotten a lot of time in center field, I think, professionally. So Fox could fit that mold a little bit. I, I guess the, the question that I just have is really, you know, if he hasn't quite put it together with the bat yet, what do the Orioles need to do to get the most out of him? And it might just be that, you know, you're content with him not being a guy that hits for a high average and doesn't have a lot of home run power, but he has some extra base power and can draw a lot of walks. It seems to be about his ceiling offensively. Yeah, I mean, is he faster, better defense version of Richie Martin? Probably. So at least there's that. Yeah, I think Eric Longenhagen noted in his report that like even if the offense doesn't come around and he is just kind of what he's been in the minor leagues, he's still a guy who can hang in the majors as like a, a one-war player, you know, a defensive specialist, a speed guy to help you out in the late innings. Um, we'll see if he sticks around. It's, it's definitely interesting, like I said. And I had another point I was going to make, and I completely forgot it. It's Friday night. <laughs> Uh, I'll give you a minute to think about that point next. There is one last thing I want to talk about, and that's going back to the Rule 5. We'll have more specifics on the Rule 5 traps when we get closer, when it actually is, and the three of us can take a look at who was left unprotected by other organizations and guess then who we think the Orioles might specifically target. But uh, a point I want to throw out there, and I'll start with Bob on this, which is Looking at where the 40-man is now and knowing what types of players are generally available in the Rule 5 draft, what could we see the Orioles target? Are they going to look for someone that could go into a rotation? Are they going to look for a bullpen armor? Is it going to be someone, maybe kind of a younger version of a Lucis Fox with a little bit more upside if that type of player is out there? I feel like we know kind of what the Elias and company are looking for when it comes to the Rule 5 draft. I mean... We saw it the last couple of years. They took two pitchers in each of those. So I think it's going to be a pitcher who has a starter's pedigree in the minor leagues. Maybe they can faint at him competing for a starting rotation spot in spring training. Then he winds up in the bullpen a la Tyler Wells. So I think, yeah, I think it's going to be a, an arm for sure. I, I just don't see a bat really fitting in on this roster, except maybe a third baseman infielder. Definitely not an outfielder if Robert Newsom can't even crack the 40-man. So it's going to be an arm who's a starter in the minors who they'll throw into the bullpen and try to sneak through the year. Yeah, 
I was trying to think of like a, a third, like traits of a third baseman, but then I just keep thinking like Kelvin Gutierrez type traits um, in my mind. But yeah, I think it's definitely going to be a pitcher. I'm going to say they don't take two. I think you're only going to keep one um, and try them out. This is, it's going to be a sign. We're in the next step of this rebuild. Instead of two rule five picks, we're only going to take one this year. This is progression people. Um, but I just think, yeah, I think there's so many bats and you have so many bats like Vavra and others who were just added who are close to the major leagues. So you're not going to like block them. And I know a rule five pick, you can just send them back. It's pretty easy. But if you're going to keep Stewart and Santander and all these guys around, there's no point to bring in another bat. It's definitely going to be a younger arm that you can hide. Um, but yeah, I think it's just going to be one. It'll be interesting to dive into these lists and see who's unprotected. I'm sure the articles will be out over the next couple of days, over the holiday week, uh, the top names available. And it'll be fun to learn about these guys. So we'll see. And the other point I was going to make about Fox, that was the point. It was just the fact that we have Stephen Loftus. We're going to have to bring Stephen Loftus on to have a Lucius Fox episode if their paths cross. I can't think off the top of my head if their timelines when Stephen was with the Rays, if Lucius Fox was there or not. But maybe Stephen knows some some good info about him. Yeah, maybe he was behind the acquisition. Yeah, you never know. And um, that would be good insight if Stephen was there when the Rays brought him in. We'll have to look into that. But um, that about does it for tonight's episode. We've recapped who the Orioles added to the 40-man roster, who they left unprotected, who could go in the Rule 5 draft. And as a programming note, we will not be live on November 21st. We'll uh, be getting ready for the Thanksgiving holiday, but we will be back with a live episode on November 28th. Uh, so be sure to follow us on Twitter at BSL and the birds for that. Uh, check out Baltimore sports and I'll have a piece up there about the players that the Orioles protected and didn't protect uh, with 40 man roster spots, kind of the follow up on what I wrote on the site on Monday. We also have a lot of good Ravens coverage over there, college sports, some high school stuff thrown in. Be sure to join the message board and join the discussion with uh fellow board posters and BSL contributors like Bob, Nick, and myself. Um, so for Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedden. Thank you for listening to On The Verge. Well, well, well. Shopping for a car? Yep. Carvana made financing a car as smooth as can be. Oh, yeah? I got pre-qualified instantly and had real terms personalized just for me. Hmm, doesn't get much smoother than that. Well, I got to browse thousands of car options on Carvana, all within my budget. Doesn't get much smoother than that. It does. I actually wanted a car that seemed out of my range, but I was able to add a cosigner and found my dream car. It doesn't get much... Oh, it gets smoother. It's getting delivered tomorrow. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get pre-qualified today. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.